This episode of the Anti-Heroes Podcast with Zach Blair is presented by Thunder Road Guitars. Thunder Road Guitars is the Pacific Northwest's best source for premium new, used, and vintage guitars, amplifiers, and pedals. Online or in their Seattle and Portland shops, you'll find fantastic customer service and a terrific vibe. I personally always make a stop at Thunder Road Guitars in Seattle. Uh, they're a great bunch of guys, and it's just not a complete Seattle trip unless I go and say hi and see what uh, wonderful stuff they have. These are real people offering real service, folks. Uh, use code ANTIHEROES10 to get 10% off at www.thunderroadguitars.com and tell them I sent you. Hey guys, this is Zach from the Anti-Heroes Podcast, and I want to welcome our newest sponsor to the show, DistroKid. DistroKid helps musicians get their music on all the major streaming platforms, and artists keep 100% of their royalties. Can you believe that? Anti-Heroes listeners get 30% off at distrokid.com slash VIP slash anti-heroes. Again, that's distrokid.com slash VIP slash anti-heroes. Thank you so much and support all the folks at DistroKid because they're they're doing amazing work and we couldn't be happier to have them on board. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors over at Jim Dunlop and MXR Pedals. We couldn't be luckier to have these guys on board with us. I personally use these products and you should too. Find out more about them at jimdunlop.com. Let's get on to the podcast. And welcome to the Anti-Heroes Podcast with your host, Zach Blair. I am Zach Blair, and I am coming at ya. Hi. How are you? Because I bank these, and I, I record them in ahead of time, I don't know where I am in life. But I, I hope I'm good. I think I'm good. Because I am talking to a guy that I like a whole lot and a band that I love. Uh, Mr. Brian Giles from the wonderful band Red Fang. Now, if you're not a Red Fang fan, you should be... Red Fang are just an awesome heavy band. I wouldn't say, I, I mean, I would call them metal, but you know, sometimes people like to be pigeonholed and called certain things, but they write amazing heavy riffs. Let's put it that way. They're also known for their amazingly funny music videos. They don't take themselves as seriously as most metal bands. Go down the YouTube rabbit hole of Red Fang videos because they're just hilarious and amazing and funny. But what a cool band. And man, Brian's perfect for this podcast because they, they use different gear than the normal metal band. The infamous uh, Sun Beta Lead Head makes another appearance, uh, as it did with my interview with uh, Buzz Osborne. If you haven't heard that interview, then what the fuck are you doing with your life? I mean, really? Go back and listen to that. We talk about the Sun Beta Lead Head, which was a very odd head made in the 70s. And uh, the, the fine folks over at Hilbish Design are now making those for these guys. And they make the Red Fang pedal. So look into that as well. We talk about that. We talk about everything. We talk about Brian's gear choices. And we talk about this one amazingly cool guitar that I've always noticed about Brian uh, because 
I'm a dork and I know this shit like this. So we get to talk about that. You will see. I will shut up right now. Uh, let's get into my interview with Brian Giles. Hello, Zach. How are you doing? Uh, we've <laughs> yeah. all we've been talking, but uh, let's dive in. I have to ask you right off the bat here, and I know you're probably sick of talking about this guitar, and you know which guitar I'm about to ask you about. But I think it's so cool that you had, and I don't know if you still play it, but that Fender Mustang. Yeah, the the yellow guitar, I call it. It's so fucking cool. And so what's the history to that? Did you, if anyone's never seen this, you can Google a picture of Brian Giles, and it's a Fender Mustang, the top horn of it is cut off, and then the bottom horn is sort of to a point. Now, did you do all that yourself? No. So the, the story about that guitar is that I guess I was 19, and um, I was in a band uh, with a guy, Bob Duggan. And uh, anyway, some of his buddies were graduate students, at, and basically they were doing some pretty heady you know, um, research, basically they were, they were looking for AIDS treatments and cancer treatments and, and cures, you know, and, uh, anyway, high stress. And they were, they would do these overnight, you know, research, they were the night researchers. So they were night owls anyway. So to blow off steam on the weekends, they would have parties and it was a house destroying party. Everything in the house you could destroy. If it was there, you could destroy it. And then on Monday, they would go to the thrift store and buy a $10 couch and replace basically everything, you know, young people or whatever. Anyway, so we were at this at one of these parties and, uh, you know, people dancing on the tables, Slayer full blast. And uh, anyway, that <laughs> that yellow guitar was in the corner. It had like two strings on it. And I was like, man, that guitar looks cool. My buddy Bob's like, oh, yeah, that's my guitar. And I said, really? It's, it's awesome. He's like, yeah, it's a piece of shit. And it was, you know, on the chopping block. It was in the room, which meant that at some point someone was going to bust it against the wall. And I was like, man, I, I think that's great. Can I give it a try? He's like, sure. Well, I've been wanting to play acoustic guitar. So I traded him a $40 acoustic guitar for it. Uh, anyway, I got the guitar and I, and I just really loved it right off the bat. Um, I ended up needing the acoustic guitar back. So I took that back and he's like, okay, well, just pay me the $40. And... Uh, <laughs> Anyway, I was like, okay, but then he, but this is, he went into a coma, if you can imagine, and he was in a coma for, um, for over a month anyway, and he came out of the coma and, and he had to make some real life changes. So he quit drinking and just basically disappeared. So I didn't see him again for like literally 10 years. And I saw him on his BMX bike downtown. I was like, Hey, you. And so 10 years later, I finally paid him 40 bucks for that guitar. Holy but, uh, fuck! Anyway, I've had really nice guitars. I've had I've, I've played a bunch. Like I had a Les Paul Junior, and I would be like, "Oh yeah, it's, you know, frets nice and whatever." But I just kept going back to that thing. I don't know why, but um, not not the most riveting story. But it is my guitar, so yeah. Um, and yes, I still play it. 
I think it's a fantastic story with the the, the whole thing with the, the tear everything up parties and everything. I, that's a party I want to go to, my friend. But, uh, you, I, yeah, not now. I'm not at my age. Forget it. All right. Was it was it already chopped up? Was it the horn already cut off and everything like that? Yep. It looked it looked exactly like that. Only I, I just recently had it um, refinished, like super shined up. So you just recently did a show with the guitar player from uh, Foo Fighters, right? Yes, with Chris, yes. All right, well, you know, Sean Cox is one of their techs. And I love Sean Cox so much. Yes, well, he's fantastic, and he, he lives in Portland anyway, so he just refinished that guitar for me because, I don't know, he hates relaxing. So he's like, well, what can I do for you? I was like, well, I need this guitar fixed anyway. He made it super shiny, and so this is the last story I'll tell about that guitar. But anyway, please go. Uh, the guy Bob, who sold me the guitar back in I don't know mid '90s, his dad worked for the CIA, and so on the back of the guitar, there's a sticker of an F-16, F-15 Tomcat, and it says Imperial Iranian Air Force, which is just a, you know a statement in and of itself that we've got you know basically one of our you know modern day enemies. We were selling them these million-dollar death machines, and they're putting their flag on it. So I guess you made that USA. Anyway, yeah, so yeah, yeah. anyway, I think that wasn't lost on him, and so he's like, "Well, okay, you can have this guitar for forty dollars, but you can never get rid of the sticker." And I said, "Cool, I like the sticker." Anyway, so twenty years later, that sticker has been pretty beat up with my belt buckle and everything. So when I brought it to Sean, I was like, "He's like, what about this sticker? I can get rid of that in about five minutes." Or if you want it, I can lacquer it in, and then it'll never, ever go away. And I said, lacquer it in. because, because I Oh, mean, that's it, awesome. Yeah, and then I saw Bob, the guy who sold me the guitar, after another 15 years, he showed up to one of our shows in Boston. I picked him out in a crowd. I'm like, oh, my God, it was crazy. Um, and it was just so great to see him. And I was like, and by the way, this was like two months earlier, I had the guitar refinished. And I was like, by the way, I kept that you know, F-16 sticker on the back and I had it lacquered in forever. He's like, well, you're a good man because that was literally 25 years ago that you <laughs> that we made that promise and I kept it. So anyway, I don't know if that... Well, if, no, no, if there was ever an argument to be made for a guitar choosing its owner, I think that's it. And Sean, so so we had, we had been talking before we were on about uh, your manager, Laurel Stearns, who I love so much. She's my big sister and been my like sort of North Star throughout my entire career. But Sean was on a tour that Hackfish, my band from the 90s, was also on. And he took us under his wing and was so, so nice to us. And we loved him so much. And then lo and behold, he starts working for my other good buddy, Chris Shiflett. And he's still out there doing it. And I just, I love Sean so much as well. So yeah, it's, it's crazy. We're just now meeting you and me. We know so many uh, mutual people. It's yeah, it's true. It's uh, well, you know, I don't get out much though. So I'll blame me. That's all right. I'm kind of the same way. Um, are you using that? I noticed you're now using those Nick uh, Huber, Huber, uh, Krautster guitars, which are amazing, but are you using the Mustang still? Is it still in the rotation or what? Uh, I put in a boutique pickup that um i've been putting in um jb's basically that's what i've been playing in that thing yeah. for for years i probably sweated out you know four or five of them in that thing over the time period of time anyway so i was like well i'll try this boutique pickup up but it just sounded really shrill and i was like no and so so i had the i guess a higher resistance volume pot slightly higher resistance volume pot not slight and then i had a tone knob that basically nine became 10 just to kind of get rid of some of the really ear piercing aspects of it you know but then right. i was just like no 
because you get rid of some of that, but you also get rid of the growl. So it's it's still a work in progress. But basically what I need to do is um, I need to just put another JB back in and, and get regular regular impedance, if that's the word to use for volume pod and tone pod, just put it back to how it was, you know, don't mess with something. I've been playing this, like I said, like 20 some, 25 years and I went and changed something stupid. Don't do that. Right. So right. anyway, so it's, it's working. So it's, yeah, it looks beautiful. I mean, Sean did a great job. It's, it's like for a, you know, a Frankenstein, it looks factory floor. So yeah, that's so cool. And, and, and hopefully it's, it's preferred nomenclature, but you know, you guys, I know it's not good to label a band any <clears throat> category, but you're definitely a heavier band. Uh, some would say metal. And for someone to use, you know, there are the metal guitars that people characterize as like, oh, that's going to be better for that style of heavier music. And I love it when somebody bucks that system and uses something that's uncharacteristic to their craft. And that, when I saw you guys the first time and I saw you with that, I was just like, I need to talk to him. That's so cool uh, that he's using that guitar. Well, you know, yeah. I don't know, you know, between you and me, uh, you know, those real pointy guitars. Yeah. You can't hear those points at all. That does, No, it's true. <laughs> I don't, no, you know, yeah. you're just going to stab yourself. It just seems dangerous. Give me a smooth, no matter how me, many points. Give me a rounded guitar, thanks for yeah. safety. I'm with you. I'm <laughs> with you for safe for safety's sake. <laughs> That's right. Um, how is the Nick Huber guitars? Is it Huber or Huber? I say Huber. Okay. I'm not an expert, but that's that's my understanding. Um, yeah, I the reason I started playing that was because I had the Mustang. That Mustang, by the way, is a, a 1964. It was I had it worked on way after I I think I had it refretted, and they looked it up, and it's wow. a small scale 1964 made in August. So my understanding is that's the first year and month they made mustangs oh wow! and it's a small scale so the that if that thing was in cherry condition it would be worth like as much as a car i mean it would be right. but now it's worth a lot just to me you well, know well sure <laughs> yeah. it's your guitar yeah but anyway yeah. so i had it no. on, I, so i we took it over for it was like a went to europe for a couple of like a, a festival and a couple of phil shows for like a you know four-day weekend or something and it was somewhere Eastern Bloc, and there was a uh, a strike, general strike at the airport. So it was just insane. I mean, I've never seen so many pieces of luggage piled up. I mean, it was it was like a comedy. It was like you couldn't make up the. I mean, thousands and thousands. Just every hallway, you were walking through a labyrinth of baggage bags. Anyway, well, right. my bag was lost also, oh. so I didn't have a guitar. Luckily, David um, had. He had been playing my Nick Huber, and then he wanted one that had different specifications. So he got a different one, but they were letting him keep the blue one that I use as a backup anyway. So, well, now I was without a guitar, so I would use it for that weekend. Anyway, I fell in love with it. I'm like, damn it. I fell in love with a boutique guitar. This is bad. Right. I like. Right. I need to fall in love with $40 guitars for the rest of my life. But anyway, <laughs> you know, so. If, if only we could all fall in love with $40 uh, guitars. Yeah. I mean, you know, like a, like a car, if it gets you to A to B, that's fine with me. And I and, uh, whatever. So that weekend, it just kind of doomed me because they do play so well. And, <sighs> you know, the more we all research it, the the more we're convinced that there is nothing about a guitar that changes really the tone of your guitar other than the electronics, the pickup, you know, your, your volume right. pod, your pickup and the strings. 
nothing it's else true. really does anything. So, so really, it's what you're comfortable with. But you know, but when it comes to picking out a guitarist, how does it play? And those Nick Hubers play so smooth. It's like a Rolls Royce. It's so easy. It's crazy. Right. You know, the, there's something to be said. I mean, I also was a guy that never really played handmade boutique guitars. I was always Gibson Les Pauls, just, you know, whatever. They've always worked for me. And I started working with Banker, with uh, Matt Hughes in, in Georgia for the Banker guitars. Uh, he makes guitars for like, you know, Brett and uh, uh, Brent and uh, Bill from Mastodon and stuff. And man, it's just, you're you're right. It's like, it takes all the effort out of it almost. It's just like, it doesn't fight you. It's so easy to play. And it's almost like my my whole style was playing a big bulky Les Paul that, that was hard to do, you know? And then you put on the banker, it's like, it just plays itself. But, uh, and I fell in love, same thing, fell in love. And I don't think a guitar, I mean, really what it comes down to is the neck, you know? I mean, finding a neck you like, and then everything else is finding a pickup that you like the sound the neck that works for you getting the action yeah. where you like it and then everything else doesn't matter you know whatever you no know. I, I agree and then i and, fully agree and it you. really does come down to what looks cool to you you know everything else about the guitar and i and i do think that the, you know the the hubers look cool um and my old my old fender looked cool too although i like to say does this guitar make me look fat because uh, it's it's a small <laughs> scale you know i was like man do I, do right. I, do I, guys do, do i need to go on a diet or get a bigger guitar right like for me it's like does this guitar make my head look bigger <laughs> um my head's enormous these um, are the things we so worry about these are the things you sh we should be worrying <laughs> That's about right. So you guys are also a band that uses um, interesting amps, and you uh, and I, I had uh, lunch with your bassist, and we got to talk and dive into the Sun Beta leads and the Beta, all those things. And are you guys still using those? But I know Kilbish came out with the Red Fang pedal, which congratulations on that. Um, and wasn't that modeled? I know Kilbish designed, and I talked about it with uh, with Buzzo uh, here on the podcast. Um, they also make their own version of the Sun Beta Leads and Beta Series. Is that pedal basically a Beta Lead in a pedal, the Red Fang pedal? Yeah, it's, I, um, it's modeled after that. It's, we wanted to get as close to a Beta Lead preamp that you could put gotcha. in a box. And so, which is just great for, for, I haven't really utilized it in this way, but basically I'm so addicted to the Sun Beta Lead sound that... I've been sure. lugging that thing onto planes and because they're, you know, that whole story about those guys got a bunch of success real quick and it was the seventies and they all found cocaine and then the ownership found cocaine and then the people in the factory floor found cocaine. And then it, it was, so the, the wiring is, you know, sometimes there's some real suspect things going on in those things because it was right. like they were looking at the disco ball instead of the, their solder points. So <laughs> anyway, so I mean, I, I've, I've had work done and, you know, got to get them reinforced and stuff. But anyway, they're real delicate, you know, for a solid state. You can't throw them downstairs. They definitely will stop working. Mm -hmm. So I, anyway, if I carry right. them on the plane and I put them in the overhead and they probably weigh 35 pounds or something with our, the boxes that we made for them to travel with. But I just, you know, it gets fucking tiring carrying that thing through the airport. Plus, they are always right. think you've got to you know, some kind of nuclear device on you every time you go through, you know, the machine. So anyway, so theoretically you put that in your backpack and then whatever, you know, whatever amps they supply for backline, you can slave those and make it sound essentially like a, a sun. So, um, right. so that's kind of what I like about them. But I also, you know, we're writing a new album now 
and I, we got anything out of the pandemic because I got somewhat adept at home recording. And so that's the just right. basically what I, I leave it plugged in all the time in line, you know, when I'm recording demos for the band, just, um, you know, it straight to digital. It actually still sounds really great. So um, so I make a lot of demos with it, it and it, it gives you a, a pretty good approximation of what, you know, our band sounds like. Gotcha. I, you know, I, I wanted to get one of your pedals and it was, they were sold out. I had to get on a waiting list for it. And then I realized like, wait a minute, I know their fucking manager. Duh. So yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm going to try to house that shit. It's all about who, you uh, know, and I know crackle. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, people that get you $40 guitars, I think is what's most important. Yeah. <sighs> Hashtag blessed. <laughs> hashtag blessed hashtag blessed life hashtag forty dollar guitars exactly. um so what started you playing guitar what what uh who were your guys well i i mean i started out playing piano when i was a little person um xylophone and piano mm -hmm. and then i moved to trumpet in uh, like fifth and sixth grade and then i continued that through junior high and uh you know it was public school system so the music wasn't very inspiring but anyway i just didn't feel it never really grabbed me i mean i really enjoy music but that instrument never grabbed me i wish someone had turned me on to like miles davis something like that then i could have realized that that instrument wasn't just for honking at you know elementary school you can actually emote with it uh and it's yeah. a beautiful instrument and so that's sort of a tragedy but anyway someone I think I was in eighth grade and one of my school chums started playing electric guitar. And I, you know, I think I was just really enamored with the, um, you know, the whole rock and roll or whatever. Oh, I can be in a band and everyone likes that person in the band or whatever. So I guess that's what got me playing guitar was just realizing that, oh, that's, that is something that people can do. I did you know, it never occurred to me until one of my junior high friends started playing. I was like, I'm going to give that a go. But, uh, right. but yeah, I guess it was my brother who turned me on to like hard rock, you know, the first couple albums, you know, I mean, I Van Halen Fair Warning probably is probably the yeah. biggest influence as far as like, I was just, mind was blown what could be done with a guitar. I mean, by him anyway, <laughs> yeah, you know, for sure. For sure. but uh, sure. yeah, you know, ZZ Top and, you know, yeah, Billy Gibbons guitar playing, you know, all these things like, of course. The, the technical prowess and, you know, and, and Billy Gibbons subtlety. I mean, not, he's also very, uh, technically amazing, but I guess those sure. are the people that kind of got me enamored with playing guitar. But I, I think the thing that got me to, to where I felt like I could be in a band was listening to stuff like black flag and, you know, sex pistols or something like that. These real knuckle dragger four chord bands. Not, I mean, black flags, not knuckle dragger so much, but, just that if you can grab a power cord, you're good to right. go. You know, if you're ang if you're an angry young person and you can make a power cord, you can be in a band. And I was like, great, I'm going to do that. Yeah. And I mean, and it's it's the truth. And it's been the theme of this podcast that that I've, I've come to, you know, all walks of, you know, musician from country to everybody. It's like that was our and depending on what age you are, when you realize if you could make that bar chord shape that power chord shape you can change the world essentially you know um, yeah you know hopefully you'll go outside of it at some point and, and that's a the big advice i give to, to people who are like oh you know they, they feel like it's really daunting to start playing guitar and it's been so long since i did that it is hard to make the chords initially especially if you're doing like you know g major d you know switching from a g major to a d major 
is not what your hand wants to do, you know, but right. th those kind of fundamentals, I mean, it only, it took me a long time, but it doesn't, uh, you can get through that pretty quickly to where you're functioning. And right. the way I see it is if, if you get to that functional level where you can switch from one core to the next in time with someone else, then really what it comes down to is, do you have something to say? You know, it's not, it's nothing to do with how good you are. I mean, I think it's, helpful to in this in the industry to have some tricks in your bag but by no means i don't think good music is is something that is the province of savants you can be awful at what you do but if if it's saying what you have to say then it doesn't have to be technically great at all you know i, f I fully agree with that i mean you know, I also love it when a musician might have sort of like um, they have their signature thing that they're good at and they've never really grown beyond that thing, but they stay within that thing. And the way the way they do their thing is their art. Do you know what I mean? Like maybe it's Johnny Ramone with a power chord. Yeah. He famously never did a guitar solo. If there was a need for a solo, he would have the producer do it or whatever it might have been. Ah! And he just stayed so stringent. Like, seriously, Ed Stasium did their solos on the records he That's produced. Amazing. And then I believe Daniel Ray did it after that. But, you know, these guys are like, nope, this is my thing. This is what I'm going to do. And they deliberately stayed in their own sort of lane and didn't grow. And, and I, I don't understand that, but I think it's beautiful when it's done right. If, you know. I mean, if, if you're still, if you're not just writing the same story over and over again, if you're still saying right. new things within, I mean, you know, I think you can, you can say beautiful things with a pencil in the margin of your homework. You know, you can do beautiful things with whatever, you know, sometimes I think that uh, limitations can push your creative side harder. You know, you have, you have less options. Um, you know, like pedals, like I don't use pedals. Um, if I want something to sound spooky or something, I have to find a way to do that where basically the, it's my intent. It's, a, it's the thing that I write. It's not the tone of the guitar. It's harder than right. like, Oh, all right, I want this to be mysterious. So I'm going to turn on some reverb, but I'm going to do this and that, you know, I'm not no problem with that at all, but I don't know. I mean, maybe that's, maybe that's yeah. my excuse for not buying pedals. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> hey it's a fucking rabbit hole though once you start i mean jesus christ i didn't use pedals for a long time either and then i i added a phase 90 because of eddie van halen of course yeah. because you know it's it was his thing and then i was just like huh and then i just started and now i'm like i have a fucking pedal board and i have to kick my own ass but it's the truth you know it's it's i i sort of respect that even more when you start diving down deep rabbit holes of like the great lead guitar players, let's say Michael Schenker, you start realizing that it might be four or five things that he's doing and he's mixing that bag up every time he does a solo. Oh, there's the Michael Schenker thing. There's the Michael Schenker thing. And he's mixing them in these other different ways, different keys, different stuff like that. And it's fooling your ear, but it's his thing that he's doing. It's his four or five things that he's doing. We all have those. And I love figuring that out with everybody else's playing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the, one of the coolest things is to have a, to, you know, to have an identity through something that is inanimate, you know, for to have, Absolutely. to have some, you know, it's like the human voice. It's so much easier to be distinctive and so much, and, and to emote because it's happy how you were born. You know, the first thing you did was start saying, Hey, this sucks. 
by screaming, you know, first thing you did when you were a human being. So to get that scream to happen through something that's made of wood and metal is, that's cool. It's, you know, it's one one of those things. It's a, it's something to chase and maybe you never catch it. and, And maybe that's good because if you could catch it, then why bother doing it anymore? Absolutely. I fully agree with you. And I think that with guys like you and me that have, are lucky enough to have a career in music, we're always just chasing it. Yeah. You know? and, and, as, and as long as, and as long as, I mean, my whole thing with songwriting, it's like, I'm trying to write a song. There is a song in my head that I'm trying to write, but yeah. I only can see the edges of it. I can't see it. I just see the edges of it. But when I get a taste of the edge of it, I'm freaking the fuck out, man. I'm like, I'm like a racehorse right. just took a huge shit. It's like, let's go. You know, I mean, I, it makes <laughs> you feel so fucking happy. That's a great way just to, to get it. a little bit of whatever that is, that there is something in my mind someday. Maybe yeah. I'll actually see the real thing, but just seeing the edges of it is, is what keeps me after it. And I, and I still, you know, as agonizing, it, it seems like it's harder and harder for us to write music. The longer Red Fang's a band, you know, we're getting older and crotchetier or whatever. So, but I still love it no matter how unpleasant it is and how much we butt heads. I love the whole fucking thing. So I I guess I'm in the right industry because it sure don't pay crazy good either. So (laughs) yeah, I I, I feel you, man. I'm in the exact same boat and we're so fortunate guys like you and me. We're so lucky that we have those edges. We see those edges in our heads still. If that, if that song stopped presenting itself to you, Maybe that's the end of life, you know? Uh, we still get those little glimpses like we got when we were 15. And, you know, thankfully we have iPhones and we have, you know, things we can hum. Yeah. I'm constantly, you know, my thing is, I'm, I'm sure yours is as well, filled with just these ideas oh, God. of. I, mean, I, I can't it, imagine. I should need to scrub my phone before I die. I don't want people to have to go through this. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah because it's it's like you know the uh wait a minute maybe, maybe it goes you know whatever oh yeah uh yeah and then you get it home and you're like i can't even what the fuck is this oh, yeah, yeah i mean i quit drinking yeah. a, a couple years ago but back when i you know i would wake up in the morning with a couple and it'd be like like what the and then it's frustrating because you're like, God damn it. I know that was a good idea. I, I didn't capture it well enough for me to even harness the idea, but I know it was a good idea. And then it's gone forever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, and see, that's why I like doing this podcast because we as musicians, we all have so much in common. You know, we might play different types of music and things like that, but the impetus is there. The desire is there, the inspirations there, and all of that's there. So I, I, I just love it. I love it. Um, so you were saying that next for you guys, you're working on a record currently? Uh, yeah, we're um, just the way, I guess, pressing plants. I, I think the pandemic just, you know, laundry list of shit yeah. it fucked up, but it also fucked up getting records pressed. And I'll, I don't know what all the factors are, but to get a record pressed is like, you know, eight months out now. So theoretically we'll be in the studio this summer and then have something out for 2024 any touring plans this year got any shows any festivals um we do i'm not sure what's been announced potentially uh, a full u.s tour this year so so which is great i mean oh my god i i didn't realize how important it was to my well-being to do that you know, but one after oh, after two man. years, two and a half years, we took a break. You know, we didn't even have practice in person for the first year of the pandemic at all. You know, luckily I got into home recording and stuff. To it was kind of like the methadone, but uh, 
you know, then getting out and actually playing shows. I'm like, oh my God, this is great. I, you know, I'm an old dog, but I still love it. Guys like you and me that our art is our living. It's also what we're passionate about. I haven't lost that. It's still all I love to do. And so not being able to do it for such a, about a long period of time, it really started doing things to me. And we also both are guys that have been doing this since we were kids. So it's it's odd to take that sort of a, a period of time off and you didn't sign up for it. You know, you didn't you didn't make a concerted decision to like, okay, let's uh, let's take this time off. We were all just forced. Yeah, to. just and hard stop. Just one day was hard stop. Well, who? Damn it. You know, and that was the thing. It was like, you know, live performances were the first thing to go out and probably one of the last things to come back. I mean, which makes sense. Totally. And that was, it was, a, it was agonizing, really. We, we set up and canceled two major tours. You know, it's like, I don't want to be killing people because of this, you know. Uh, but then as it went on, I mean, I kind of, my opinion shifted as just fretting over this. It just so much anguish. It was like, ah. And I was just like, yeah. just the part of me that was like, I don't fucking care. I've got to tour. And then being like, yeah, but do you really want to kill somebody? Because it's so, you know what I mean? Yeah, right. It sucked. I hated it so much. So anyway, I'm glad it's it, over. It was such a thing to live, such a crazy thing to live through as a professional musician, you know. And, and I don't think people really re quite realize that guys like you and me were not able to not only make a living, but to also not do the thing that we loved the most. I mean, we could do it on our personal level and sure and write and things like that. But there's also such a part of it is getting into a room with other Sharing. folks. That's the thing is part of the community. That's the thing is that, exactly. that room of people where everyone has got, Yeah. we all may be totally different ideologically, politically, whatever. But in that moment, we're all together. And that's feeling, you know, that's what being a human being is. I don't care what kind of shut in, nihilist you are that is the point of being alive is, is interacting with other human beings so taking that away was just real tough you know i guess you know my thing is i'm i consider myself a bit of a misanthrope but i love musicians and i want to be around them <laughs> i don't want to be around other people but i want to be around musicians. well we're, we're you know we're just a particular kind of weird you know and uh and weird likes weird um you, speaking of that you're a part of a guitarnership that's a phrase I coined, uh, guitar partnership. And uh, I'm in one as well, and I love being in it. And I love, I love my co-player, uh, my co-guitarist. Did you guys sort of gel right off the bat, uh, you and, and your other guitar player in Red Fang, or did it take a while to figure out your roles and things like that? Uh, well, the, the way it worked out playing, I, yeah, I guess the band I was in before, well, it was party time. John, our drummer, and David, other guitar player we were in a band called party time before that i was in a three-piece so i was used to just being the one guitar player and um back in those days we used to trade shows david and john were in a band called mercury birds and so they would headline shows on the east coast and we would go ride their coattails and then vice versa because we had sort of a small cult following out here on the west coast and so we do vice versa anyways. But I was just really impressed with both of their playing. And I was like, if you guys ever move to Portland, you're going to be in a band with me. And I was very forceful about it. And amazingly, they both listened to me. So John moved to Portland early 2000s. And we started party time. And then David ended up, he was in a band called Face Down and Shit. And they toured to Portland. I know, amazing band name. Um, Amazing, I know, huh? so good. And and apropos, if you ever hear the band, uh, they're out there. Uh, 
Uh, but anyway, so, so he moved out about a year later and I convinced him to join party time. And I think we picked it up really quick. I mean, I think I was just so impressed with his guitar playing that up. There was probably a lot of me going, well, how did you do that? And then I do it his way. You know, he's right, got, right, right. he has all the nuance and all of the, the mojo. I, I don't know. There's something, you know what I mean? The sh that sure, oh, thing sure, that sure. I don't. Like I'm sort of robotic. Like I'm, I'm very functional in my guitar playing and songwriting. I'm very much like this fits here and this goes there, and I really don't do nuance so much. I'm sort of the analogy I like is is if the part requires a hammer, I'll do the part. If the part re requires an, a <laughs> scalpel, we let David do it. So, right, so I don't I remember that. there ever being any kind of um, any kind of like awkwardness where we had to figure each other out i think i probably just jumped right on board i was just you know so excited to be playing in a band with him and just i wanted to learn how he did things you know yeah yeah um, um a couple takeaways there i i love that the band was called party time i i think that's great it, oh it was a party Woof. was it a party uh, did you record yeah it exists not on the internet, but it exists. Well, I, I don't know. Maybe it's on the internet somewhere. It's not on like Spotify or anything. Was it similar to Red Fang or was it? Yeah, it was. Um, well, the, the whole idea of a band called Party Time was because before that, I was in a band called Last of the Juanitas, which was a three-piece instrumental. Uh, what, what do they call it back then? Math rock was a, was a thing, you know, like Don Caballero. Oh, sure. That was popular. Those kind of things were happening. Very well versed, um, yeah. I was, I was super into that kind of stuff, you know, even like Gone yeah um anyway so i did that and and it was our songwriting process was like how inscrutable can we make this and basically it was like okay that kind of has a hook that's kind of catchy well let's change it drastically one measure later right. like nothing repeated totally insane fucked up like you know there's only five parts in the song but there's five versions of oh, every, part, every part you know what yeah, i mean yeah, all yeah. this shit is like why am I even doing this? I'm am I trying to chase these people to the bar because I, I think it's working anyway. Right. So we were like, well, let's just try something that's just total knuckle dragger, like just rah rah punk rock, straightforward. And then, but of course, I couldn't do that right right off the bat. So I was like, yeah, totally straightforward. But what if we dropped the beat? Right, right, right. And then we added a beat that you know, and then I still made it fucked up. So it's but it but it's leaning more towards that. There was this, we had a lead singer. The songs did have choruses, some of them catchy, um, but it was still really frenetic and, and super, like probably way too fast, but it was great. Everybody, you know, we were in our early thirties. We were still like, ah, right. ah insane. Right. So um, anyway, I'll, I'll try to dig up a tape for I you. I would you love know. to hear any band called Party Time. I think that's fantastic. And if it's a yeah. precursor to Red Fang, I, I absolutely love Red Fang. And as, as I'm sure a lot of people do that are listening to this um you know i won't keep you too much longer but i do have i ask everybody what do you have a guitar or a piece of gear or something that one that got away like something that got stolen or that you had to pawn or whatever uh yeah just recently i was at um we were playing a a show in um in chicago with with wind hand okay and their drummer w was in a band was he in face down and shit? He may have been in face down and shit. One of his bandmates, this guy Kevin, I I sold him, uh, and, I, and I basically I asked him about this amp. I was like, does he still have it? Because I want it back. 
And so he texted Kevin. He's like, you still have that amp? And he's like, I do. He's like, you want to sell it back to me? He's like, no, I don't. Fuck. <laughs> anyway, so now I am shopping for one. And they're not that. And it, I don't think it's the rarest thing in the world, but the Trainer TS-200. Oh, wait. You ever fucked with those? No. However, there is a... It's a solid state 200 watt amp. We're going to talk when we're done here. And I might have a, a hookup for you. Um, yes. I might. I love that. Well... Like, you know, the hilarious thing about that amp was, well, it's like a 200 watt fucking, you know, it's, fuck, probably weighs 45, 50 pounds. It's heavy. Yeah. Uh, But it came with, it came with a practice speaker on the side. Oh. Like a, like a two inch tweeter. Whoa. Or maybe a four inch speaker on the side. So you could plug in the head and use it as a practice amp. No shit. Just. And I recorded with it. I mean, we'd mic that thing up, you know, almost as often as we would mic up an actual cabinet. It just came with this. I mean, fucking practice amp built into a head. I mean, that's that's so. I love the wacky, the wacky shit. Yeah, but like in. In the 60s and 70s, it was such a wild, wild west that there was so much wacky shit that happened, like like the Dan Armstrong guitar in and of itself. And the fact that it had the pickup that slid out from under the strings and it had three different pickups. You know, there was so much wacky ball shit that happened back then, and I love it. I love it. And I did not know that about the trainer. I did not know that. Yeah, they sound so good. I played, I, I started, that was my first loud amp, and then I started playing bass in a band for, you know, for better or worse, it, for about two years I was in a band playing bass and I was and I was very much trying to channel um I can't remember his name at the time at right now but the bass player for King Crimson you know oh, that John, sort of like John Wetton yes is that is that that brings about one of them anyway, one of them would have been John Wetton and then there was also Greg Lake from Emerson Lake and Palmer he was on like the you know the Court of the Crimson King and all that stuff I'm a fucking King okay. Crimson dork so you, you yeah well well so especially that album Red oh uh, god damn it's so you know goddamn. that's John Wetton uh, that's John Wetton okay yeah Anyway, I just his bass playing. I mean, and it also suited my skill level. You know, he he's very intentional about the notes he chose, and sure. he didn't. There wasn't a lot of gymnastics. It was just very tastefully placed, and so sure. I, that was my my ideal. Was like, okay, well, I can't, you know, go do some kind of crazy super fast scales or whatever, but I can find the notes that are the most appropriate where they go and right. anyway but the and the tone was just i don't know for some it was sort of reminiscent of that era you know that yeah it was it was it was gritty but it wasn't like over the top like do metal right, you know? right, has right. A, i would say maybe that that ts200 probably has a lot of the same characteristics of a sun beta lead i would i you know, would guess probably why i liked it i would guess yeah. that's probably true um but yeah I, I i was like fuck that amp's great and the guy i sold to was like yeah it is i was like damn <laughs> it okay <laughs> sure is go fuck yourself yeah exactly um, i'm keeping it um well that's as good a place to wrap it up as any um brian it's it's so good to actually meet you and it's not in real life but it's i feel like i've, I've known you um you hey know. man this is the, the new version of real life I think, anyway, so. I think it is. I think it is. So I'm sure exactly. we will meet in real life. We have so many people in common that I'm sure we'll meet each other soon at a festival. Yeah, are you in are you in LA? I'm in Austin, Texas. I, I uh oh, okay. I never left Texas. Um I fortunately been able to tour and do my whole thing and I never I never had to leave Texas. Um although there's been many times well the last administration, uh I wanted to fucking leave Texas, but uh oh well. I held out. I believe it. Oh, I believe yeah. it. I held out. Hey man. Yeah. You know, the thing about it, if you're in a, in, a, in a place where your state of mind is not 
is underrepresented, yeah. then do the solid for the rest of us and stick it out. No, you know, it's like if you're right. If everybody, if every cool person bails Florida, then you know the place is a wasteland. And you know, we need good you're people totally everywhere. Fucking right. And you know, what? I needed to hear that right now. Actually, I needed to hear that right now. Um, well, cool, Brian. Well, hey, man, let's uh, let's talk soon. And um, uh, and again, so good to meet you. And if anybody right. is, is, is looking into just anything Red Fang, just pick it up. Do yourself a favor. Pick up anything Red Fang and check out Brian and what he does. Yeah. What Zach said. <laughs> Take care, buddy. Thanks so much, man. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, you bet. You know, again, that is somebody I've never met in real life. I've met other people in his band, and like we did say, uh, I know his manager very, very well. She is a family member of mine, Miss Laurel Stearns. And I, 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 I feel like I've known him for a long time. I love this podcast, everyone. I love it. I love that it gives me an excuse to just talk to kindred spirits. I'm so lucky I get to do this. I'm so lucky you listen. Aren't we lucky? <laughs> Anyway, uh, you know, here at the end, I'm going to leave you with some uh, a great example of Brian's guitar work. This is going to be the song Throw Up from the album Murder the Mountain and uh, the Murder of the Mountains. Sorry, plural, mountains. Uh, check that out. Just a great heavy guitar riff. You know, I uh, believe a great heavy guitar riff makes the world go around, folks. That's going to be on my tombstone. Anyway, thank you again for listening. And here at the end, I'm also going to thank the wonderful folks over at Jim Dunlop and MXR Pedals uh, for all the lovely products they make, and they make all of our lives easier. Check out what they're doing at jimdunlop.com. Also, our new buddies over at Seymour Duncan. We talked about Seymour Duncan JB pickups on this episode, folks. Brian and I, I use JB pickups. I also use the Duncan Distortion pickups. I love them, and I love those folks over there, and I'm so happy uh, and honored and lucky that they are partnering up with us for the anti-heroes. Once again, folks, thank you for listening. Um, I'm going to keep doing them, and we'll talk to you soon.